I've had my share of changes. My mind now writes checks on an account from when I was uh, 20 years back. My mind writes checks that my body can no longer cash. You know, they're just things that just change. You're changing. In fact, they tell us from the moment you were born, guess what you begin the process of doing? Dying. That's just an encouraging word for your Sunday this morning. Uh, but you're all dead men walking, all right, as they say. But the truth is we're changing. We're changing all the time, physiological. And a church, if it's healthy, a church changes within the boundaries or the parameter of God's purpose or God's will. A church change. A church that doesn't change is generally made up of people that don't change. And guess what that is? That's spiritually unhealthy. Because if we're going to be victorious in our Christian life, and that's the, the subject matter of this series we're in, we're going to have to learn how to change appropriately within the context of the will of God personally. And, of course, it has implications for us as a congregation. But change is just one of those things that we want everybody else to do but ourselves, Right? And have you noticed we're all pretty good at picking out where other people need to change? I'm an expert at that, of knowing where other people need to change, but missing where I need to change. Jesus talked about that. He said, how is it that you can, you can find the speck in your brother's eye, but you miss the beam in your own eyes? Would you agree that we're all pretty good at that, knowing where everybody else needs to change, but struggling uh, in our own life sometimes to change. Change isn't, uh, isn't easy, but if we're going to live in victory, the fact is you're going to have to make changes along the path of your Christian life. I've told you before about a woman when I pastored in Florida who came to me, on when I'm, she came up to me, I had preached on growth, spiritual growth and maturity, and she came up to me and she said, Pastor, I, she said, I don't want to uh, offend you, but I don't need what you talked about today. She said, I am fully mature as a Christian, and so I don't need to make any changes in my life. Now, people, that actually happened, and I, I think my mouth probably dropped down to my knees. Because a person that says that I'm fully mature has only displayed one fact, and that is that they're completely immature. Because I want to tell you something, we must continue to change as believers until Jesus returns or we die and go to be with him. This growth process, this change process, it does not end until we are in the kingdom. Does that make sense? Do like this, if that makes sense. So we're always growing from the time we're, we're born until the time God calls us home. And in particular, from the time you're saved to the time that God uh, either comes for us or calls us home. And so if we ever believe that we've arrived like this woman did, or that we have, we've uh, attained the, the level of maturity that, can, uh, that we could have if we ever begin to believe that, guess what? We have begun the process of our own ruin, and we've put ourselves into a pathway of spiritual defeat. So I know change is hard, change is uncomfortable, changes are painful at times, but change is essential. It is necessary if we're going to live in spiritual victory. Um, and what I want to do before I get into the main substance of the outline that you have there, I want to give you three things. Just if you can, if you can write real quick, I want you to write these three things because this is kind of the, the, the setup to what I want to talk to you about. There are some things that spiritual change should never do, all right? So we have to be careful that we don't confuse uh, what spiritual change is and what it isn't. So let me give you three things that you ought to understand that spiritual change should never do. Number one, spiritual change should never produce a result in your life that is inconsistent or contrary to God's Word. I'll give you a second to kind of uh, jot that down. But spiritual change should never produce some kind of result in your life that is inconsistent or contrary to what God has said in his word. In other words, uh, um, it's, it, spiritual change and, and growth is never going to cause you to violate what God has already said in the scripture. And if, if, if whatever change you believe that God is working on in you, it will always be consistent with his purpose or his will. Does that make sense? So it's never going to be something that would cause you. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that is a a bit frightening today is that there are growing numbers of Christians who are changing 
very clearly stated beliefs from the Scripture, and they're changing their views of them, even though the Scripture plainly states certain biblical truths very plainly, they're changing them in order to accommodate the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist of the age. They're saying, well, here's what the culture says. Here's what the the world kind of says. So we need to adapt and we need to adjust. Listen, we need to adjust and we need to change, but never outside of the boundaries of God's Word. Does that make sense? All right? But one of the frightening things is that you're going to talk a little bit more about this in my second point, but is that our world is increasingly saying, well, even as Christians, we we need to get outside the boundaries of God's will. All right, so spiritual change should never produce a result contrary to the Word of God. Number two, spiritual change should never undermine the mission of God. We exist for a purpose. You exist for a purpose. I don't know if you've discovered that or if you've realized that, but God created you not because he was bored. He created you with a mission. He created you with a life purpose. And that life purpose is, by the way, will be consistent with his big purpose. He created you with a mission. And he will never ask you to change in a matter that will undermine the mission that he has given to you Uh, that is consistent with Scripture. Spiritual change will enhance the work of God. It will not undermine the mission or the work of God. Okay, you got that? So so spiritual change should never produce a result contrary to God's Word. Number two, spiritual change should never undermine the mission of God. Number three, spiritual change should never undermine your relationship with God, your personal relationship with God. Spiritual change should never do that. Uh, In fact, if, if your relationship with God is compromised because of what you believe are spiritual changes, then it's not a tr- true spiritual change uh, because, because God will never cause spiritual change to lessen your love for him or your, your willingness to obey him. And if it does, it's either not from God or you may have confused religion or traditionalism or you may have sacramentalized something. So today what I want to do, okay, you got that? So uh, spiritual change will never undermine your personal relationship with God. Okay, so today, what I want to look at is a passage that helps us understand the importance of making changes where necessary in order to live a victorious Christian life. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning? I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Follow along, if you will. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Remember that. We'll come back to that. They are darkened in their understanding. Remember that. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their, the, their hardness of heart. They have become callous. What, 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 what did you say? Look this way. Have you ever wondered why some people just, they just don't seem to get it? It just doesn't make sense. You say, well, it's just so plain. It's, did you get that, what he said? It's because their thinking becomes futile, and they become alienated because their hearts are hard. So truth can't penetrate their hearts. So they accept all kind of junk and lies and that sort of stuff. Okay, verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But look, this is an important statement. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him uh, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, Father, would you speak to us this morning from your word? We love your word. Thank you for it, God. Teach us new things. Father, convict us, uh, transform us, God, with your truth, and uh, Lord, let us be different when we leave than when we arrive. Speak now. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my rock, and my redeemer, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, Christians are called to live distinctly different lives from the world around them. And they're called to live a lifestyle that, 
that distinguishes them from those who don't know God. Now, I think if I ask that question in most churches, most people would say, yeah, that makes perfect sense that we are to come out from among them and be different. The Bible calls us to that. That, that is true. We live in the world. We're not of the world. You, maybe you've heard that said before. So we would probably, mostly, I suspect in this, and most of the people that are watching by television or, or live stream would agree that we are to be distinguished by a relationship with Christ. If you agree with that, do this. That, that, that should distinguish. Okay, thank you, all three of you. Um, but Paul is writing to some, some believers, at least they're confessing believers in Ephesus, and there was no distinction about who they were compared to who the world was. In other words, when you looked at them, they didn't look any different than people that didn't know God. And Paul's writing to basically tell them it's time to change. And he calls them to change their behavior and to, that, that they needed to change their attitude and to change their character. And the change process that he's referring to is a process that he talked about in this book, and that is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you can't change yourself just by sheer willpower, but there's a change that should be consistent if we are Christians with the character of Christ. And if we look no different than those who do not know Christ, there is a problem. That's what's going on here. And so that's why he calls them to this vigorous kind of change so that they could experience and walk in victory with Christ. So here's hey, this morning what I want to do. I want to show you three things that Paul calls them out for that will help them live in vict uh, victory. Three changes. Number one, if you're going to change, your walk has to change. That's verse 17. If you're, if, you're going to, if you're going to change, your walk has to change. And he calls them out on this. In verse 17, he says, I testify in the Lord that you must, look at this, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, let me just say something uh, that's important for you to understand. Who are the Gentiles? This is not a racist term. This is not a pejorative term. Paul is not, uh, he, he's not being derogatory. Uh, the Gentiles that Paul's talking about are all of those who are outside of the kingdom of God, Okay. So what he would be saying is you have Christians and then you have the others. And he's not saying that in an arrogant way or, in a, again, in a condescending way. He's just saying, so when they, when they use the idea of Gentiles, he's talking about all of those who are outside the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Uh, and he's not talking about here's the Jews and then the Gentiles, as is sometimes used in Scripture. In this case, what he's talking about are those who are outside the kingdom of God. All right? And he's, he tells these Christians then who are... Their citizenship is, at least by acclamation, is in the kingdom of God. And so he said, you're, you're in the kingdom of God. Don't live like you're not. Don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like those who are lost, who don't know God. And then he uses this word walk. Do you see that? Most translations have walk. Some of the newer translations might even have the word behavior. But in the Greek, that's what it's referring to. It's referring to how you act, and it's referring to how you out act outwardly. You see, <clears throat> he calls them to stop walking the way they were or walking like a person who doesn't know Christ or behaving like a person who doesn't know Christ, he calls them to that because guess what was characteristic of her life? Godlessness. They were godless, and it was being reflected in their outward behavior. And he's saying these kinds of things, he later says it in this, this book, should never even be spoken about at, with uh, of believers. So their behavior was damaging their reputation, and by extension, it was damaging the work of the kingdom of God. So they were confessing one thing, oh yeah, I'm Christian, but they were living another thing, behaving another way. And Paul says, listen, in the Greek, it's, it, it, Paul says, stop it. Change. Quit. Quit living like you don't know Christ unless you don't know Christ. And so he calls them to a change of their behavior because their behavior was undermining the work of God, the reputation. You know, there are a lot of people today that will say sometimes that their struggle with following Christ is because they know Christians around them. And they watch these Christians around them who exhibit a life that's no different than theirs. And so they say, why do I need Christ? One of the early chief justices of the Supreme Court was a man named Oliver Wendell Holmes. And he made this interesting statement. He said, I would have become a Christian, but I knew too many. 
What an indictment, right? That's kind of what's going on here. Paul is saying your behavior is so inconsistent that it's, it's hurting the work of God. Now listen to me. People say that. They may have said that about some of, some of you before. People say, well, you're so inconsistent. Listen, it may be true. And if it is, you need to do something I'm about to talk about, and that is examination. But listen, here's the fact. Even if that's true, they don't get a pass. They're not going to be able to stand. You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes has already stood before his maker. He, he didn't walk in and say, well, you know, I would have become a Christian, but I knew too many of them. God's not going to go, oh, all right, no problem. He's still responsible, and, and people that don't know Christ are still responsible regardless of what reputation they tend to uh, attach to the church. But do you understand what Paul's saying? It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. And uh, so, how do you change your behavior, your walk, all right? It requires, here it is, this on your outline, it requires spiritual examination. Spiritual examination. Did you know Paul even said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, and these people had some behavior problems, the Corinthians. And they were confessing Christ, and they had all kind of behavior issues. You know what he says to them finally in the second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5? He says to them, examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether or not you're even really saved. And every once in a while, we need to say, if my behavior is so inconsistent with the nature of Christ and the fact that I'm, I'm, uh, I confess to be saved, that I might need to take some time to examine myself and see if I'm really in the faith or not. Now, I'm not trying to spread doubt among you or among those who are watching or listening to us, but I want to tell you something. Maybe we've got a little lax if there's behavior that is so inconsistent with the nature of Christ and what happens when we come to Christ, we need to periodically examine ourselves and say, look, am I really in the faith? Why is my life characterized by this kind of behavior if I'm really in the faith? Socrates, the great philosopher, he said this, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And then he, uh, uh, another part of that that's never Quoted, by the way, he goes on, Socrates went on to say, Our lives are but specks of dust falling through the fingers of time like sands of the hourglass. So are the days of our life. Y'all didn't know that Socrates said, y'all thought that was a soap opera statement, didn't you? That came from Socrates. Let me tell you what Socrates was saying. He was saying life's too short. Eternity's too long. To live lives that are spiritually unexamined. You only get one life to get it right. Hello? And so from time to time, if our behavior is inconsistent with our confession, we need to examine uh, ourselves. Philip Brooks, a preacher of another era, uh, era, he talked about a thing that sociologists call uh, uh, the theory of the looking glass self. And here's what that theory holds, essentially, is that you become... What most important, the most important person in your life that could be a wife, a husband, a, a father, a mother, a boss, etc. What the you become, what the most important person in your life thinks you are. Now, he adds. So, if that's true, how would your life change if you truly believe the astounding words of Scripture about what God says about you? What does God say about you? And if God becomes the most important, his view about you becomes the shaping influence in your life and your behavior. That's what he's saying. If you could look in a mirror and see what God sees when he sees you, how would that change who you are? When you saw God's incredible love for you, how would that change who you are? See if we could get a right perspective. Or would we be more like what James said? If we examine ourselves in the mirror of God's word, it says, James said, for if anyone is a hearer of the word of God and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. <clears throat> for he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, here's what James is saying to us. James is saying to us, if, if you're just a hearer of what God says and and consider, like, think of the scriptures as a mirror. Okay, so you go to this mirror. How many of you looked in a mirror today before you came to church? How many of you, raise your hand if you looked in a mirror. That's most of you. Some of you should have looked in a mirror before you came. But 
you, you looked in a mirror to see, to get it, you know, you, oh, I got bedhead or something like that, you know. And you look and you thought, I got to brush my hair or I got to brush my teeth or I got to do something, but I got to change the way I look today. All right? So you use the mirror for that purpose, right? If you don't care what you look like, you don't need a mirror. And, but, but you look at that mirror and then you do, if you're smart... And I know you are all smart, intelligent people. What you do is you make adjustments according to what does the mirror, the feedback, say back to me, all right? Now, here's what James is saying to us. James says that if you go to the mirror of God's Word and you look at the God's Word, and it tells you, it explains who you are, right? It kind of speaks to you. You read it and you say, oh, that's, yeah, that's me. I need to make a change here. I need to do this or do that. I look at God's Word. And you look at it, and then you just walk off, and you do nothing with it. He said, you're like a person who gets up, looks in the mirror, and says, man, look at that. I need to change that. And then, but you don't do anything. You just walk off, and you forget what you saw in the mirror. James says that a person that doesn't make changes based on what they see in God's Word about who they are and about what God says about them is a person that is self-deceived. They've heard it, they've seen it, but they've done nothing about it. They're deceived, he says. The victorious Christian, listen, has learned that examination must lead to application. So my life is examined in the Word of God, and the Word of God tells me where I need to make changes in behavior. And then I do what it says and make application of that, all right? So that's that's first thing there, all right? Your walk must change. The second thing that he tells us is that our worldview must change. Our worldview must change. Now, Verse 17, 19, verse 23, all point to that, where he, he talks about the, the futility of their minds, those outside of the kingdom. They, their minds don't see correctly, don't think correctly about the ultimate realities and the ultimate truth. And he says they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. And then in verse 23, he tells them to be renewed in the spirit uh, of their mind. What is he talking about? He's talking about the way they see the world. The way they see the world, everyone has some kind of worldview. Now, I don't know if that term is familiar to you. It's become more popular, but it's been around for a long, long time. A long, long time. It's become more popular in the last decade, but everybody has a worldview. A worldview is simply the way you see the world. And and the way you see the world, now here's the important part, is determined by the things that influence you. So a lot of people develop their worldview based on their friends, what their friends think. A lot of people develop their worldview based on what they watch on television. A lot of people uh, base their worldview on what Dr. Whistlebridges says. A lot of people base their worldview on colleagues around them and what they think, conversations there. Do you understand? It could be what you read, what you put into your system. These things all, all work together to create Uh, your worldview. And everybody has one. And today, I think one of the most uh, tragic things is that our worldviews are created by the wrong sources. And the sources that you allow to shape your worldview, by the way, can determine your destiny or whether you walk in victory or defeat. Now, you say, but are all the sources, that are, are, are all of them bad? It depends. If the sources that shape your worldview have the right worldview, then they're good. The fact is, most of the sources in our lives that are creating our worldview haven't come from the right source, however. And you say, well, is there a right worldview? I had a young man in college some years ago, and he said to me, you know, he was of postmodern mindset, and... and uh, uh, he said, made this statement to me. Uh, his name was Earl, and he said, um, he said, you know, I've come to the conclusion that there are no absolutes. Now, are you thinking, people? Did you get that statement? He said, I've come to the conclusion that there are no absolutes. So I had fun with him. I looked back at him. I said, are you absolutely certain? He looked at me kind of weird. 
I said, do you realize you just gave me an absolute? When you said there, there are no absolutes, that's an absolute. But if you don't believe there are absolutes, and you can't be absolutely certain that your absolute is absolute. Did I lose you? Is there a right worldview class? The answer is, there is a right worldview. Everybody can't be right. And listen, let me tell you where it's found. It's found in God's Word. Because this transcends the human mind. I don't have time. That's a whole other subject, subject matter. It transcends the human mind and the, at, the, at its highest point. But at any rate, this is from another source. It is from, the, from God himself. And, and this is the filter that we have to use when we look at our, wor- our, our world. But what we try to do too often today, even as Christians, and this is a frightening thing, is what we try to do is we try to take the worldview of the world and make it compatible with the Word of God. So we try to look through the world's view at the Scripture. Does that make sense? And so then we interpret the Scripture based on what we've already determined to be our view of things. That's backwards. This is the filter through which we see the world. And so uh, uh, what, what happens if we're not careful is we get a faulty Worldview, And by the way, God has the right to say, this is the way. Take it or leave it. Now, you don't even have to like that. And by the way, you may not even like me saying that. I'm just the messenger. But God has the right to say, this is the way. Take it or leave it. And by the way, do you know when God says, take it or leave it, you know what that is? That's grace on his part. Because he's saying, I'm going to let you make the choice. And you have the right. God gives you the right to say, I I reject it. God gives you that right to reject it. But listen, what God doesn't give give you the right to is the consequences of your choice. The consequences of your choice, you and I have no control over. Those are the results of the choice, you see? So God says, you can choose to reject it. You can choose to accept it. But the consequences of either choice are not up to you. Those are the results of the choice that you make. And the scary thing today in the world that you and I are living in is that everyone, uh, it, it, it is argued that everyone has the, uh, the freedom to just believe in whatever they want. And they do have that freedom but the problem is, once everybody has the, the freedom to, to pick whatever they want, you lose boundaries for right and wrong. Now, if you really want to know what's going on about some of the cultural and social issues of the day, like why has uh, crime increased uh, so much in cities all over the nation, you might say, well, because of the, the law enforcement agencies are, are shrinking or that sort of stuff. That's all surface stuff, Okay. The reason you're seeing, and I just use that as an example, you can, we could list 15 other things. The reason you see so much social dysfunction today is because, the, as the Bible says, every man did what was right in their own eyes. And so when you lose boundaries, are y'all with me? When you lose boundaries, you lose the ability to say this is right and this is wrong. And so everybody just does what they think. And then the culture argues, yeah, you ought to. You ought. There, listen to me. There is truth, and there is right and wrong. And God has the right to say, this is it. Take it or leave it. <clears throat> but there are consequences to our choice. And in our passage, here's what Paul is writing to tell these believers. He's, a te- he's telling them to stop adopting the mindset of of the world around them, the Gentiles. So you're living like the Gentiles. You're living like those uh, outside of the kingdom of God. Their culture is shaping you. That's what he was saying to them, and he was saying it's time to leave that mindset uh, behind and adopt the mindset of Christ. In fact, when you come to Christ, the Bible says you are given the mind of Christ. Why is that? It's so you can filter. And so Paul says it's time enough. Change your worldview. And, and, and did you notice again in verse 20, but he said, you didn't learn Christ this way. 
If you're operating that way, and if you're here today, or you're listening or watching by live stream or television, uh, and, and you said, I've, been, I, I, I've trusted Christ, but there's no change in my worldview or anything, you didn't learn Christ that way. It might mean you haven't, you haven't pursued Christ, but you didn't learn him that way. So we must learn to change the way we look at our world and, uh, and align it with the light of God's word. We have to ask, how does God see things? And that requires a second thing. The first thing required uh, examination. This requires education. And I don't mean in the formal sense of education. I mean in the spiritual sense of education. We must be enlightened and educated to the truth. I believe your mind is the greatest battlefield spiritually that you'll ever fight on. And that's why I think Paul says in Romans 12, not to be conformed any longer to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Did you know that he prayed for you that your mind would see the world the way God sees it? Did you know that? No, I mean, really, he prayed for you. He prayed for us. In John 17, we call it the high priestly prayer. And it is, what it is, is it literally, go read it sometime, not right now while I'm preaching, but you go read it sometime, and you'll see Jesus is praying for his disciples, the disciples around him, and then he may adds this statement. But I, not only do I pray for these, meaning the disciples, but also for all of those who shall believe. That's us. Wow, think about it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. If you're a believer, he prayed for you. And what did he pray for you? You know what he prayed? He prayed that you would see the world correctly. Let me read to you what he says. He says, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he adds, they are not of the world. That's us. See, we're not, the, we're not of the world. We're, our citizenship is in heaven. He said, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then here's the operative uh, part of his prayer. He says, so sanctify them, Father, in the truth. And he adds, your word is truth. God, I, 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 Father, I'm not saying take them out of the world. They're here for, on a mission. But would you do something so that they'll see the world properly? Would you sanctify them in truth? Okay, what's the truth? He says, your word is truth. That's why this, this, the truth of God revealed in his word is so important for us. The worldview of this world, unless it's transformed, is going uh, down in defeat. How do I know that? Well, John writes in 1 John this, he says, For all that is in the world, everything that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, all of this is not from the Father, but is from the world. And listen, he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. Do you get that? So the, the worldview's worldview, I mean, the world's worldview is going to pass away. But listen, he, didn't, he adds this, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the spiritual worldview. The bottom line is that our worldview must be adjusted to God's worldview. That's the pathway to victorious living. You may not know the name Lord Kenneth Clark. Uh, He's best known internationally as the creator of the television series that was acclaimed internationally. Uh, It was produced out of the UK called Civilization. And uh, Lord Clark, he lived and died without faith in Jesus Christ. But in his autobiography, he makes an interesting statement because he admits that while he was on one occasion visiting this, uh, this church, he had this encounter with God. And he said he knew it forced upon him a decision. And here's what he writes about that. He said, my whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had ever known before in this encounter he has at this church. Now, he's an atheist, but he says this happened in this church. And he said, he talks about what he calls a flood of grace seemed to come over me. But he said it created a problem for him. The problem was, he said, if I allow myself to be influenced by it, then I I, I will have to change my life. And he says, my family might start thinking that I've lost my mind. 
And, and maybe the intensity of that experience will, of joy, this unspeakable joy he said he encountered, it may, what if that is just fleeting and, and it goes away? Maybe it's just illusion. So here's what Lord Kenneth Clark decided. He decided in spite of this encounter he had, this spiritual encounter with God at this church, he would reject it. And he rejected it because he said, I was so deeply embedded in the world, I didn't want to change my course. In other words, it was a, a God, and he was encountering God, and God was saying, here's the way. And he knew that, but he decided, but people think I'm a nut. If suddenly I change, I'm gone, gone from being an atheist to now a follower of Christ, so I'll have to change my life. I'll have to change the things I, I say and confess and profess. My family may think I've lost my mind because I've been so anti that and on and on. So he said, I just concluded the easiest path was to reject it, ignore it, and go on. And he died he died without Christ. Look, we have to be open and willing to learn the truth from God. And then when we get it, it has to change the way we see everything. But a lot of people do what he did. They may not do it as, as boldly as he did it, but they do that. They just say, no, if that's true, I've got to change. If that's true, I've got to make adjustments. And that's what Paul is writing to these Ephesian believers. And he's saying, look, you can't keep going this way. If you're really a believer, there's some changes that you're going to have to make. Your behavior's got to change. Your walk's got to change. And your worldview is going to have to change. But here's the last thing. He also points to the fact that their wardrobe had to change. That's number three on your outline. And he says that in verses 22 and verse 24. He uses these expressions. He said, put off and put on. Put off and put on. Do you, you see those? Keep your Bibles open. Look there. Underline that circle. Put off. There's some things to put off. There's some things to put on. The idea here is a change of outfits. It's a change of wardrobe. It's like getting a new wardrobe. And that's consistent, by the way, with what uh, Scripture tells us, that if any person is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. And by the way, part of our examination should be to answer the question, are the old things gone? Are there new things showing up in my life because I'm in Christ? Why does Paul address their wardrobe? He does so because their problem was that they appeared to be wearing the same wardrobe that those who didn't know God were. They appeared to be wearing the same wardrobe that they had on before they trusted Christ. So they didn't look any different. Outwardly, there was no distinction as we talked about at the very beginning. And Paul was telling them that it was past time for them to leave behind the old ways of their old life and to metaphorically put on new clothing that reflects a new spiritual man or a new spiritual woman. When I was young, I guess I was 10 years old, we would make periodic trips to North Alabama. North Alabama is where my grandfather lived. My, I never knew my, uh, my uh, paternal grandmother. She died before uh, at, when my dad was 14. But we'd go up to see... Um, we go up to check on my grandfather up in Franklin County. And I, I remember my sister and I, we actually, we loved our grandfather, but we hated the trip. And the reason is because once we got there, here's what we did all day long. We'd take these big ladder back chairs, we'd lean them up against a massive oak tree out in the yard, and we sat there all day and talked. Now, I'm a 10-year-old. That's, that's just, look, you can be a 50-year-old, and that doesn't sound exciting, but... But that's what we do. Dad would be checking on his father, and then, you know, they'd go into town to a little market. It's a country area, and they'd get some, some cold cuts and that sort of stuff, and, and they'd bring it, and we'd fix lunch, and then we'd sit by the tree, leaned our chairs up against the trees, and we'd sit there, and, and it was miserable. But there were neighbors around, and from time to time, they'd come over. They'd see our car there, and so they'd come over to talk to my dad because, you know, my dad grew up there, and my mom grew up there, and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So they'd come over and visit, you know, and it was out in the country. And so and then they'd go back, and then others would come. And there was this one particular um, neighbor who lived just literally just, you know, across the street. And he would come over, and when he would come over, he'd bring his son with him. And Well, and his wife and son would come over to say hello and that sort of stuff. And the son was like 12, 12 13 years old. And, uh, and when he would come over, the son would just kind of stand around and, 
And then every once in a while, he'd reach in his pocket, and he'd pull something out, and he'd stick it in his mouth. And it didn't take long before I realized what he was putting in his mouth. A pacifier. And he'd put this in his mouth, and he'd go... Like a cigarette. And he'd stand there, and then he'd put it up, and he'd, he'd wait a few minutes, and then... I promise you. Now look, am I the only person that thinks that is odd? Anybody think that's a little odd for a 12, 13-year-old kid? I just thought it was odd because he wouldn't share it. No, I... I'm a 10-year-old kid, but I'm thinking something's not right here. That they haven't weaned him off of pacifier. It's odd. It's activity that should have changed as he got older. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? I mean, isn't that something that should have been put off from the old days from the past when he was an infant. And I think about this passage when I think about that story. Paul writes in chapter 13 and verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Friend, that's what Paul is saying to these people right here. Stop living like you were in the old days. Stop wearing the same wardrobe. <laughs> Metaphorically, stop sucking the same pacifier that you did before you got saved. And he gives us his path to victorious living, and it is this. Put off the old, put on the new. There's a song years ago that was sung by Amy Grant, if you know who Amy Grant is. And it's called Old Man's Rubble. And in that song, Amy Grant utters these words, Are you living in an old man's rubble? There's a voice of the darkness and a voice of the light. And the one you listen to is going to win the fight. The question is, are you, what, what are you living? Are you still living like the old man? That's what Paul is asking here. What voice are you listening to? What worldview is affecting you? Are you living in that old rubble? Are you living in the new relationship that you have in Christ? And if you are, get rid of that old wardrobe and put on the new wardrobe that comes from him. You know what this, how this happens? Remember the first thing we said was... Uh, a matter of spiritual examination, remember that? And the second was a spiritual re-education. This is about spiritual transformation. you got to be transformed. You can't do this on yourself. This isn't about willpower. So I'm, I'm going to get rid of the old. This is, now, you have responsibility there, but you have the help of the Holy Spirit if you are in Christ. This is about a complete and total makeover, a transformation. That's what he's talking about when he says put off and put on. I heard about a man, a, an old-timer from the, 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 the old hill country of Tennessee. And he'd never been to a big city, and his kids decided to take him to the big city for a trip. He'd never been before. And they took him, he'd never been in a big, tall building, a, a, a skyscraper. They took him to a skyscraper, and they took him inside the lobby, and he saw the elevator. He'd never seen an elevator before. And he saw he was standing there just watching. The doors would open. And he watched this uh, elderly woman with a cane kind of wobble into the elevator. And the doors closed. He's just watching. A few minutes later, the elevator opens up again and out walks this gorgeous young woman. The old man sees that and he says, calls out to his son. He says, Billy, go get your mama. I wish transformation were that easy. You know, you just say, God, I want to be transformed. Just, but the fact is, you can't do it yourself, but he can and he will if you're willing to say, God, the old man is gone. I want through the Spirit of God operating in me, the new man to clothe me, Father, in Christ. Now, don't confuse a relationship with God with religion for God. 
They're not the same thing at all. What you and I have to have to be transformed is a relationship with Christ. Paul writes and says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the, listen class, the gift of God. It is not the result of works so that no one may boast. That's where victorious living begins. It is by receiving the free gift, this wardrobe, this free gift of a wardrobe. The transformation, the wardrobe of Christ. This is where it begins. So I ask you, have you been, have you been transformed? Let me close by telling you a story about a man named John D. Rockefeller, senior. You've probably heard of the Rockefellers on some level. John D. Rockefeller Sr. was strong. He was a very uh, big man uh, when he was young. And at an early age, he determined to pursue money. And at the age of 33, and this is, this is over a century ago, at the age of 33, he earned his first million dollars. At the age of 43, he controlled the biggest company in the world. At the age of 53, he was the richest man on earth and the world's only billionaire. Then he developed a sickness called alopecia. Maybe you're familiar with that. And that day they didn't know a lot about it or what to do, but, but his hair began to fall out. His eyelashes fell out. His eyebrows fell out. And he began to shrivel up because they didn't know how to treat it. At that time, he was 53 years old, and his income every week was a million dollars. Bless his heart. But the only thing he could handle in his stomach were were milk and crackers. He was stressed out and worried. And by the way, he wasn't liked very well. And he was hated by just about everybody in Pennsylvania. Hated so much that he had to have bodyguards 24-7 so that no one would attack him. He was that hated. He couldn't sleep. He stopped smiling. And nothing in life was enjoyable to him. The doctors finally predicted that he wouldn't live through another year. He just was wasting away. And uh, the local newspaper actually went ahead and wrote his obituary just so they would have it on hand in case he died suddenly. Those sleepless nights caused him to start thinking. And during one of them, he realized that he couldn't take his money with him and that money wasn't everything. He realized on one of those nights, sleepless nights, that God was displeased with his sinful life. And then and there, in that moment, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He repented of his sins, and he pleaded for God to change his cold heart. The next morning, he awoke a new man, just like the Bible says. And he began to help churches. He began to help the poor and the needy with his enormous wealth. He established the Rockefeller Foundation, whose funding to this day funds all kinds of medical research. And by the way, the Rockefeller Foundation helped found, uh, fund the discovery of penicillin and other wonder drugs. And John D. Rockefeller Sr. began to sleep well again. He began to eat more normal. He began to enjoy life. You could say that in Christ, he began finally to live the fullest life he had ever lived. The doctors, you know, had predicted that he wouldn't make it past another year. He wouldn't live, live past 54. John D. Rockefeller Sr. died at the age of 98 years old. A believer who had followed Christ for the rest of his life. Therefore, if any person is in Christ. They're a new creation. The old man, the old wardrobe is gone. All things have become new. You see, if everything is still like the old man or woman in your life, it is likely that you've never been saved and that you're still in your sins. I want to ask you this morning as I close, what garment are you wearing? Is it time to change the garment, to get rid of the old, and receive the gift of a new wardrobe in Jesus Christ? Would you bow your head, close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. Our band's going to come back in just a moment. I'm going to step down front, and I'm going to invite you to make a decision. People today have already made decisions uh, in our early service, and today may be that time for you. 
You may want to come and you may want to kneel around this altar and talk to God. There are some things you just want to talk to him about. Or you may be praying for someone. Or there's some kind of decision. Or maybe you feel like you've wandered off of the path of God and it's time for you to, to get back on that path, the path, the path of truth, the worldview of God. So I invite you to come and pray in just a moment. I, you may be here and need to do what others have done today. You saw two baptisms in this survey. An, another uh, uh, person has already come today saying, I need to be baptized. I'm a follower of Christ. I want to obey him. Maybe there's some obedience that you need to engage in. Maybe you need to trust Christ today as your Savior. The, on, the ultimate way you put on the new garment is by trusting Jesus Christ and receiving that gift. And when we step down to the front, you slip out from where you're seated in the balcony of this ground floor and you come. Those of you who are watching us by live stream, you can, you can text the word pastor or the word join. You might want to join our congregation, our family, is because you are a believer. You text that information to that number. You'll see on the screen. And let us know about your decision. We'll take it from there. Don't you worry about it. Now, Lord Jesus, in this place today, I pray that you will move upon hearts. There are some who need to call on you. And right now, if that's you, if you're in this place live stream or in this place live, you can just pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I need to put off the old garment. I want to be the new me. I want to receive the gift of eternal life. I want to see, receive the gift of forgiveness. I want to receive that wardrobe. I want to become new. Would you come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior now? If you'll call on him like that, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He'll hear that, and he'll save you. Father, would you use this moment, this time, this, this moment in eternity, right now, to move upon our hearts, to move in our lives in a way that causes us to sell out, surrender, and follow you, to change, to change our walk, to change our worldview, Father, help us to do these things. And Father, to change our wardrobe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me in this place? I'll be here at the front. Staff will be on the aisles. And if there's a decision that you'd like to make, slip out. You'd like to trust Christ as your Savior, you slip out. Balcony, ground floor, come. We're here to receive you. Join Ridgecrest. You come and say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest. People have done that today already. You want to pray? Please, look, don't hesitate. Don't wait for other people to say, well, if others start going, I'll go. You just obey God. You want to pray? You're praying for someone? See, whatever it is. This altar is open. Use it. Are you ready? As the band leads us right now, you slip out. Come on, right now.